Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Bill Maroney. Well, folks, I am Pastor Bill Maroney. I am uh, the children's pastor here at Harvest. I have the opportunity to work with children and youth and young adults here, uh, which I love doing. I love working uh, with those groups here at Harvest because uh, we have fantastic people that I get to work with. Our volunteers in the children and youth ministries are bar none the best I've ever seen, the best I've ever had the opportunity to spend time with. We are so blessed by them. And I love working with your kids. The kids here at Harvest are awesome. And it's been my pleasure to do so for a long time. Many of you uh, just saw young uh, Chase Evans up here on bass guitar helping lead us in worship. I remember Chase when he was about this tall and a very soft-spoken, quiet young guy. And here he is helping draw us in, in worship. So uh, that's my blessing here is to be able to spend time with these kids. And people ask me, is that what keeps me young? I don't know about the young part. I think they might be pulling my leg on that. But, but it does keep my heart young. At heart, uh, I am still very young because I'm so blessed by what I get to do. So my heart, not my physical heart, not the muscle that beats in my chest, but the inner me, the person that I truly am, is very young and very much blessed by those opportunities. And you know, the Bible talks a lot about the heart. But again, it's not talking about the muscle in our chest, but about the inner person. It's our desires, our emotions, our feelings, our intellect, our affections. It's really talking about who we are. And though they're two very, very different things, our physical heart and our spiritual heart can both have problems. They can have problems. Problems that cause them not to operate the way that God designed them. I recently experienced that with my physical heart. I have a condition known as atrial fibrillation. That means there are some erratic electrical signals in my heart uh, that cause the top uh, chambers of the heart, the atria, to kind of flutter rather than beat. So I end up with this erratic, sometimes very fast heartbeat. So needless to say, I went to the doctor and he sent me to a cardiologist and the cardiologist very offhandedly almost looked at me and said, we can fix that. I thought, well, good, I'm glad. And then he told me how he was going to fix it. <laughs> and then I wasn't as glad. He said, oh yeah, it's called an ablation and we're going we're gonna to start down here by your legs and we're going to run tubes up through your arteries and into your heart and uh, then using extreme cold, we will kill off little pieces of the heart tissue and prevent those erratic signals from reaching your heart. Now, call me a skeptic. Any plan that involved killing any portion of my heart sounded just wrong. And then the idea that we're going to start down here somewhere <laughs> to get here didn't sound right either. I'm thinking, there's got to be a shorter route. I'm thinking there's a shorter route. But since my doctor got his medical degree from the U of I and I got mine from Facebook, 
we decided to go with his plan. And you know, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that when we have a spiritual heart problem, God wants to do a procedure on us as well, a sort of spiritual ablation. So this morning, we're going to look at God's plan for fixing our heart problems. And we'll begin, just as I'm sure my cardiologist did, by better understanding the heart's anatomy. But unlike my cardiologist, we're not going to pour over the pages of Gray's Anatomy, and I'm talking about the textbook, not the show. But we're going to go straight to the definitive work regarding the human heart, and that's God's work. This is the definitive work. Today's message is topical, so we're going to be moving around quite a bit in Scripture, so we'll have those verses up on the screen for your convenience. But our first point this morning for fixing our heart problems is understand the anatomy of your heart. Our inner being, or heart as it's referred to in the Bible, has no physical anatomy. We can't look at a picture or a drawing or a diagram of it because it's not an organ, but it does have an anatomy of sorts. It's a, a makeup that we need to really understand. The Bible teaches that our heart is comprised of several components, and they would include our affections. Song of Solomon, verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 9 says, You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. Solomon is reaffirming what we already knew, that our affections are a part of our heart, right? That's the way we see it most commonly defined. It's almost Valentine's Day and everything has a heart on it right now. But the heart isn't comprised purely of our affections. It also includes our intellect. Luke 2.19 says, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary was pondering, thinking, mulling over, contemplating, trying to understand the things that the angel had told her. And the scripture says that's a function of her heart. So are our desires. Matthew 5.28 says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Our desires, both good and bad, are a part of our biblically defined heart. So too are our emotions. Lots of emotions. Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart Weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. First Samuel 28.5, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Proverbs 15.13, a glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is crushed. Proverbs 13.12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Anxiety, fear, sadness, cheerfulness, hope, every emotion that we have is a part of our heart. And let's not forget our will. 1 Samuel 10.26 says, Saul also went into his home at Gebeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts had God had touched. This passage teaches us that God touched the hearts of these men, influencing their will to follow Saul. Our will is a part of our heart. 
So we can see in scripture that our affections, our intellect, our desires, our emotions, our will, they're all a part of the anatomy of the biblical heart. So it's complex, but we need to understand it if we're going to be able to deal with the problems that it develops. In addition to understanding the anatomy, how it's made up, what comprises that heart, we need to assess the condition of our hearts. You know, when you go to the doctor, the first thing they do, or they always do, is listen to your heart. You can go in for an ingrown toenail, and they're going to listen to your heart. Why? Well, because the heart is a critical part of your physical health. They're listening for problems. And when something doesn't sound right, there's a whole battery of tests and exams to help determine what's not working correctly. EKGs, electrocardiogram, stress tests, MRIs, ultrasounds, tons of different tests that can diagnose a wide variety of heart conditions, some of them very difficult to find and very difficult to diagnose. Fortunately for us, God has already outlined those heart conditions that affect our spiritual hearts with which we all struggle. He's already told us in his word. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Uh-oh, we've got a problem. Our heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Now I want to ask you, if you went to the doctor and he or she looked at you and said, you are desperately sick, that would get your attention, wouldn't it? You're going to sit forward on your chair and you're going to listen very intently to all of the things that that doctor says about the problem, the treatment, the prognosis, every bit of it. But is that how you respond to this passage? You've probably read it many times, heard it many times. You heard it again this morning. Was that your response? Did it grab your undivided attention? God is telling you in no uncertain terms that your heart is desperately sick. But that shouldn't come as a surprise to us, really, as sometimes medical diagnoses do, because we see the symptoms of that desperately sick heart on a regular basis. You know, by now we all know the warning signs, the symptoms of COVID, right? The cough, the fatigue, the loss of taste and smell, all the different things. And if you've got those symptoms, it's not extremely difficult to probably diagnose your condition. You have the virus. Well, the symptoms of our desperately sick heart are really easily identifiable as well. In Mark 7, 20 through 23, Jesus says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus gives us a veritable hit parade of sin issues that can affect each and every one of our lives. And he says all of it comes from inside of us. They are symptoms of our desperately sick hearts. 
And like those COVID symptoms, the signs of a desperately sick heart are pretty easy to identify. And yet, just like with COVID, we may be tempted to chalk it up to something else, try to find another cause. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. John tells us that we can be living in sin but convince ourselves that everything is fine. And that self-deception will allow us to see others' sin clearly and yet not see our own. To sit through sermons and Bible studies and messages and be unfazed by God's attempt to show us our sin. Matthew 7, 3 says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Hebrews 3, 12 through 13, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We can be completely blind and self-deceived concerning our own sin. We're way too good at rationalizing it, minimizing it, and just plain ignoring it. It's way more fun to identify sin in others and diagnose their heart problems. And as such, we have to be completely open and honest with ourselves and with God if we want him to reveal those areas in our lives where our hearts are struggling. If you've ever had an EKG, you know that they put all kinds of leads and wires all over your whole body, all the way down. They're like putting them on my ankle, and I'm thinking, now wait a minute, my heart's up here. You're putting this thing on my ankle. But evidently, that's how they get a picture of the whole heart, the electrical activity in the entire heart. And if we want a picture of our entire heart, our spiritual heart, that means that we have to be fully honest with God and take an unflinching look at our entire lives so that we can see what God is trying to show us. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you do not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Paul says, start with the most basic and the most important test. Are you truly saved? Have you trusted Jesus as your personal savior? If that test comes back negative, then all the others will be of no value. The desperately sick heart inside someone who doesn't have Christ in their life will always be desperately sick. And they will find no way to avoid that. It can't be otherwise because only God changes hearts. Only God changes hearts. You know, we can look at the evidence of sin in our lives and try to change the symptoms that we identify, but those changes aren't going to last. Behavior modification is temporary. Heart change is real and lasting. And again, only God can change a heart. So if Christ is not a part of your life, then you have a more desperate problem than just your sick and deceitful heart. You're condemned to spend this life and all of eternity separated from God, from the God who created you, 
and the God who loves you more than you're ever going to know. The sin that we're talking about here today and it's in all of our lives prevents us from being with God. God is holy and perfect. He can't have any part in sin. But he loves you so much that he found a solution to your dilemma. He sent his son Jesus Christ to take the punishment for your sins. And though Jesus himself never sinned even once, he went to that cross and he died for your sins and for my sins. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead and gave him victory over sin and death. And he wants to provide you with that victory. He's waiting to forgive you, to place his righteousness on you so that you might be saved. So that you can know his love in this life and for all of eternity. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a promise from God. So if you're here this morning, you're listening this morning online and you've never really believed in your heart that Jesus died for you and that God raised him from the dead or you've really never gone to him and sought forgiveness, you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and to be your Lord and Savior, he's calling out to you today. His forgiveness is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't atone for your own sins. You can't be good enough to gain entrance into God's kingdom. You just need to believe and ask. So ask yourself today, right now in your heart, Lord, are you calling me today? And at the end of this message, I'll share a real simple prayer that anyone who wants to can lift up and accept Jesus' free gift of salvation. It's not that prayer that will save you, but the belief in your heart that you communicate through that prayer. Now for those of you who have examined yourselves and find that you well and truly are genuinely saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, then you have some help in this heart battle. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit conferred upon you as you came to a belief in Jesus and dwelling inside you. He is meant to be your ever-present helper. But the question is, are you truly living in the Spirit? The Holy Spirit is there, but are you living in the Spirit? Romans 8, 5 through 8 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God and does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those erratic signals that sin in our lives will disrupt our spiritual hearts when we are not living a spirit-filled and spirit-led life. So how do you discern how spirit-filled you are? You know, when you go to the hospital for any kind of procedure, they do blood work on you every single time. And they'll check your white blood cells and red blood cells and hemoglobin and sodium and all kinds of other things that you didn't even know you had in your blood. And those tests are essential because they help to validate your physician's diagnoses of your condition. 
Well, thankfully, the Lord has provided tests to help us assess our spiritual condition. You want a good readout of how spirit-filled you are? Check out Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Paul tells us here that if we're genuinely spirit-filled and spirit-led, we'll have these fruits in our lives. We'll be able to see them. Others will be able to see them. They're the outward evidence of the Holy Spirit's work. So we have to ask ourselves, do I see this fruit in my life? If so, where does it seem low? What seems to be lacking? Or if I don't see those things in my life, why not? And you've got to take a long, hard, honest look. James 1, 23 through 24 says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. We can so easily be self-deceived, forgetting or denying what we've seen in the mirror of God's word. Sometimes we don't look very hard because we know we're going to be convicted by what we see. We're not going to like it. Several months ago, I made a really dumb mistake while I was trying to repair our leaf blower. Leaf blower doesn't sound like one of the more dangerous garden tools, but I nearly lost a finger to one. And as the, just the second it happened, I reached out and grabbed my hand like this and held that finger and ran into the bathroom. And I'm standing over the sink, bleeding all over the place. My wife has run in next to me and she's firing off a barrage of questions. What happened? What did you do? How bad is it? Let me see it. And I'm just standing there holding that finger thinking, I don't want to look. And I'm just holding it. And I don't know what I thought was going to happen. My wife's like, you got to look, you got to look. Take your hand away. Wives are good that way, right? And I thought, nope, I'm just going to stay in here for a while. And I finally thought, all right, I got to look. Yep, not good. Take my hand away and I see it. The finger's a mess. I've definitely injured myself pretty badly. And the first thought that went through my head was, maybe I don't have to go to the ER. I bet I can fix that. Which, P.S., is what I thought about the leaf blower. So I was wrong on both counts. And, of course, that thought went through my head, so it came out of my mouth. And my wife, bless her heart, looked at me and said, are you crazy? Get in the car. I'm taking you to the ER right now. Probably a good thing. Otherwise, I'd still be standing there right now going, nope. <laughs> Guys, denial and avoidance run very deep in us. And just like with my finger, that same squeamishness about what we're going to see and what's going to need to be done about it threatens to keep us from genuinely assessing the condition of our spiritual hearts. All too often we give it a quick peek and then we turn our eyes away. We go into denial mode. But nothing escapes God's examination. He looks deeply into our hearts. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man see. Man looks on the outward appearance, 
but the Lord looks on the heart. We can deceive ourselves, but we can't fool God. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to help us to take that long, hard look at our spiritual hearts and let him show us where sin is causing those erratic signals to affect us. And the Spirit won't use an EKG machine. He has something at his disposal that's much more powerful and much more accurate, and that's the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God's Word is living and active. It's not a limited static test. It's a powerful, dynamic means of determining the very thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And if we're having spiritual heart problems, the word will reveal them. God uses his word to expose the sin and the unbelief in our hearts. And if we ask him, God will use his word to enable our hearts to trust him and to obey him as he seeks to help us block those erratic signals, to cut them off before they can disrupt our hearts and our lives. And that brings us to our third point. Let God do surgery on your heart. Once my cardiologist identified the issue with my heart, I had two options. One was to ignore it and live with the consequences, or the other was to trust him and allow him to perform the corrective procedure. And the same is true when God exposes the issues in our hearts. We can either ignore it and suffer the consequences, and there will be consequences, or we can trust him and allow him to do a divine ablation. And that divine ablation is the only correct answer. Once the erratic signals, the sins are identified, they have to be blocked. I want you to notice that I said blocked, not eliminated. The erratic signals in my heart will still be there. They never go away. They're just going to be blocked from affecting me. And when God does a work in our lives, sin doesn't just disappear. It's still there. God's just blocking it. God's preventing it from affecting our lives. Genesis 4-7 says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desirous for you, but you must rule over it. The Lord is warning Cain here that sin is like a wild beast crouching outside the door, waiting to attack. So what do you do in that situation? You keep the beast blocked. You don't open the door. The Lord doesn't remove sin from our lives. He gives us what we need to block it out, to keep it crouching outside the door. So how does he do that? What is that procedure? Well, a great place for us to start is remembering that this is a spiritual battle. 1 Peter 5.8, Peter reminds us that we're in a constant state of spiritual warfare. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You see, the enemy doesn't give up. He doesn't quit. He doesn't stop. We have to be realistic. An enemy that had the boldness and temerity to try to tempt the Lord Jesus Christ himself is not going to shy away from you or from me. 
He's always on the prowl. So we need to be ready at all times for the spiritual warfare that's waiting to ambush us. When someone goes into battle, he or she needs to be dressed for battle. Ephesians 6, 10 through 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Blocking the erratic signals of sin is not a one-and-done procedure. It's an ongoing battle, a daily procedure. And to be effective, we have to be fully girded with the armor of God. And in that armor, we find the shield of faith with which scripture says you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And those fiery darts will rain down day after day. And temptation to sin will be strong. So the shield of faith is critical. It's a defensive weapon. Shields are designed to protect. And Satan is going to launch those fiery darts at us daily. Whether it's wrong thoughts, lies, doubts, sinful desires, you name it, it's coming your way. And we need the shield of faith to turn them away before they can affect our hearts. And the faith that's referred to in the scripture here is not the saving faith that you have in Jesus Christ, but your living faith. It's the trust that you have in the promises and power of God. Blocking erratic signals from reaching our hearts require us to trust God fully and completely and to count on his promises. In Isaiah 41.10, we read this promise that God made to the nation of Israel and he also makes to us. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We're not alone in this spiritual battle. God is with us every step of the way. He will give us the strength, the courage, and the help that we need to block that sin on a daily basis. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will supply our every need. That's a promise, and we can count on it. It means there's nothing we're going to face that God won't give us everything we need to overcome if we'll trust him and we'll obey him. But that's the catch. We have to truly trust and obey him. Not just give it lip service. It's one thing to say I'm trusting God and it's quite another to do it. Several people have asked me, did I search out for the best cardiologist to do this procedure? Am I happy? Does, you know, am, am I comfortable with this guy? And, you know, the bottom line is I did some basic due diligence. While I was in his office, I scanned his diploma. It didn't come from the Caribbean School of Medicine, so I'm feeling good about that. And I did some online checks just to see what his patients thought. And if I had been somewhat concerned about those things, I might have shopped around a little, but I really didn't. I didn't put any more time or energy into it. Why not? Well, not because I'm lazy and not because I'm being foolish or being cavalier with my own life, but because I put my effort into praying and seeking God's will. Guys, even with the combined wisdom of the internet and all the medical professionals I know, I can't outthink God. So I put my time and energy into praying about his will. Lord, should I have this procedure? 
asking him, is this the right doctor? Is this the right hospital? And God gave me his peace about those things. And from that moment forward, all I've needed to focus on is trusting him. It's imperative that we fully trust God to give us everything that we need to have victory over the sin that wants to disrupt our hearts. And God gives us tools. He gives us his scripture. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In an ablation, it's the scar tissue that blocks out the erratic signals. In our spiritual life, it's the word of God. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. If we want to allow God to block those sinful signals, we have to use the tools he's given us. We need to be in his word on a daily basis. It's more powerful than any surgical tool ever known to man and more precise and more effective than the best surgeon that's ever lived. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Do you hear how powerful this tool is? God's word not only identifies this sin, it convicts us of those sin, that sin. It can help us correct that sin and ultimately train us in righteousness so that we are better able in the future to block out that sin. It's all we need. It's all-encompassing. So to get the erratic signals in our spiritual heart blocked, we need to remember that we have to daily put on the whole armor of God. We need to trust him. We need to be in his word. And of course, we need to pray. We need to lift up our struggles with the temptation of sin constantly. Because as we've discussed, they're always going to be there. And perhaps that's where my analogy breaks down. I don't think anybody ever said, boy, do I want a bad case of AFib, or I wish I had a crazy heartbeat. No. But sin's different. The temptation, the allure of it is always there. First Peter 4.12 sums it up well. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. The temptation to sin shouldn't come as a surprise. It is going to be there. Our Savior himself was tempted. Hebrews 4.15 reminds us, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know, I don't believe my cardiologist has ever had AFib. He may have sympathy for my situation, but he doesn't have empathy. He's never been there. But when we go to Jesus with our struggles, he has empathy. He's been there. He's experienced the battle, but he was victorious every single time. And we need to emulate Jesus when we're tempted. We need to do just as he did. We need to turn to the power of prayer and to count on the promises of God when we face temptation. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus took Peter and James and John a little further in with him and asked them to watch. And when he found them sleeping, he said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus knew that temptation would come and that prayer was a way to combat it. Think about how he taught us to pray in Matthew 6.13 and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We need to pray and seek God's deliverance from temptation and sin. And God is always faithful to provide. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God has promised to give you a way of escape when you're tempted and God never breaks his promises. But you have to turn to him. You have to trust him. You have to obey his commands and seek to do his will. And if you'll do that, he'll block those erratic signals before they can threaten your heart. So if we're going to allow God to do the much-needed ablation on our hearts, we need to put on the full armor of God. We need to trust and obey him. We need to be in his word. And we need to be in constant prayer. You know, God willing, once my ablation is over, my cardiologist is going to give me a list of things to do to guard my newly uh, repaired heart. Um, and I'm sure he's going to tell me things such as uh, eat heart-healthy foods and lose weight and get back to the gym and all kinds of other things. It's going to be his prescription for my heart health. And if I'm wise, I'm going to do those things. They'll be necessary to guard the health of my heart. And we need to be sure to safeguard the health of our spiritual hearts as well, to do these things that we've discussed here today. They are God's prescription. And it too has to be followed on a daily basis. No skipping doses. And it's not always going to be easy, but remember we've got all of the help we could ever need. Paul says it very succinctly in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So fixing our heart problems, you'll need to understand the anatomy of your heart, to assess the condition of your heart, and to let God do surgery on your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and thank you, Father, for the incredible power that it has in our lives, the ability to identify our sin and convict us of that sin and correct it and to even train us in righteousness as we seek to avoid that sin in the future. You are so good to us, Lord, and our hearts are so susceptible to those erratic signals of sin. Lord, help each of us to trust you, to rely on you, to turn to you, to block that sin before it can affect our hearts. Lord, help us to know that our hearts are strong and being guarded by you. Thank you again for this day and this chance to worship you here in your house, for the blessing of the brothers and sisters uh, that we're able to uh, worship with. We pray, Lord, that even as we leave here today, the times of fellowship we'll have will be blessed by you and ultimately that they'll glorify you. And we thank you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You heard the gospel of Jesus Christ today during the message. 
If you're here this morning or you're with us online and you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, he's calling out to you today. He wants to do that work in your heart as well. You can say this simple prayer along with me. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that sin was going to keep me separated from you for eternity. But you loved me so much. You went to the cross for my sin. I ask that you would forgive me Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, do a work in my heart. And I ask it in your name. Amen. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning, or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.